If you enjoyed today's podcast, please be sure to share us and subscribe so you don't miss our next show. We'd love to talk with you again. Good afternoon, everyone. I hope your week has been productive. We have several stories to cover today, so let's jump right in. As if Capitol Hill hasn't become enough of a sideshow, here comes Oklahoma Republican Senator Mark Wayne Mullen, who thought it would be a great idea to challenge a witness to a fight during a committee meeting this week. During a hearing of the Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee, Mullen called out International Brotherhood of Teamsters President Sean O'Brien on tweets O'Brien had made about the senator. Tweets. For his part, O'Brien did post inflammatory things, namely calling Senator Mullen a, quote, greedy CEO who pretends like he's self-made, in reality, just a clown and a fraud, always has been, always will be, quit the tough guy act in these Senate hearings, you know where to find me, any place, any time, cowboy, hashtag little man syndrome. Okay, that's a clear provocation, and I think most of us know the kind of keyboard warrior silliness that is. But what happened at the hearing was off the rails. After reading O'Brien's tweet to him, Mullen said, quote, This is the time. This is the place. If you want to run your mouth, we can be two consenting adults. We can finish it here. I'd love to do it right now, O'Brien said. Mullen replied, Well, stand your butt up then. You stand your butt up, O'Brien shot back. And then another kid pushed them together and the teachers had to break it up. Sorry, that last bit didn't happen. For a minute, I thought we were in a schoolyard with two pubescent meatheads comparing their little peckers and not in the United States Senate. Well, it sort of went down like that when Chairman Bernie Sanders barked at Mullen to sit down and reminded him he was a United States senator. Sanders would later call the whole thing absurd. Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell said, It's very difficult to control the behavior of everybody who's in the building, adding, I don't view that as my responsibility. Mitch, buddy, I know the dementia is rapidly eroding your cognitive abilities, but it's in the title, Minority Leader. This is a member of your caucus, and he's acting like an ass, and making you, your party, and his constituents look like fools. Do your job as a leader, and sit that goof down, and explain to him if he wants to throw hands, he can resign and head back into the cage. Mullen has mixed martial arts experience, 3-0. Otherwise, sit the hell down and do your job. The Teamsters might want to think about if O'Brien is an asset or a liability to their interests as well. I can look at Mullen as a senator and be disgusted, but also look at him as another man and understand what he was feeling about this situation. If the Teamsters boss wants to talk shit, he better get ready to get hit. Otherwise, he needs to grow up too, and similarly, do his job. He has constituents as well. The House Ethics Committee has finally published its findings on Truth Challenge member George Santos. In their official statement Thursday, the Ethics Committee wrote, At the completion of its investigation, the ISC unanimously concluded that there was substantial evidence that Representative George Santos knowingly caused his campaign committee to file false or incomplete reports with the Federal Election Commission, use campaign funds for personal purposes, engaged in fraudulent conduct in connection with the Redstone Strategies LLC, and engaged in knowing and willful violations of the Ethics and Government Act as it relates to his financial disclosure statements filed with the House. In light of the ongoing criminal investigation into Representative Santos and the ISC's findings of additional uncharged and unlawful conduct by Representative Santos, the ISC recommended that the committee immediately refer these allegations to the Department of Justice. 
The committee did not make recommendations regarding any punishment due for the embattled member, with the chairman, Mississippi Republican Mike Guest, saying that would have taken several more months. He added that the report released, 56 pages of it, would be enough for members to be able to make a decision as to whether or not they believe it would be proper to expel Representative Santos. Some of the highlights from the report include Santos using an affiliated company to route campaign donations to his personal bank accounts, the company Redstone Strategies, after receiving two $25,000 donations to the campaign, deposited them in Santos's personal bank accounts. The $50,000 was used to pay credit card bills, over $4,000 at a Hermes store, and for purchases from OnlyFans, labeled as, quote, small purchases. Is Belle Delphine selling her bathwater again? He also spent $1,500 at one spa and $1,400 at another for Botox. Got to remove those fine lines from the stress of an ethics investigation, George? There was an attempt last week to expel Santos, but the motion didn't pass. But many of the nay votes cited the unfinished ethics committee report as their motivation. Well, it's out now, and it's pretty damning. There is more bad news for Santos, with one of his former fundraisers, Sam Miel, pleading guilty to a federal wire fraud charge. He was charged with impersonating Dan Mayer, the then Chief of Staff for then Speaker of the House Kevin McCarthy. Miel was charged with four counts of wire fraud and one count of aggravated identity theft and faces more than two years in prison. This makes the second Santos campaign aide to take a plea deal. Former campaign treasurer Nancy Marks pleaded guilty to fraud conspiracy charges some time ago. Santos has announced he will not seek re-election, but that is not good enough for many lawmakers who made it clear in several statements that they want him going now. We can likely expect a new motion to expel him in the coming days with a different outcome than the first two attempts. Tim Scott announced Sunday he is suspending his campaign for the Republican nomination for president to a great deal of surprise from his supporters and even his staff, who found out when he announced it in an interview with Fox News Sunday Night in America, hosted by Trey Gowdy. This is par for the course for a campaign seen as poorly managed, with a GOP operative saying, I've seen better run city council campaigns. Scott was never able to break out of the single digits in polling, and the campaign's lack of organization and poor communication, coupled with the candidate's unwillingness to travel, certainly didn't help. He is reported to have only told his campaign manager, Jennifer DeCasper, and communications director, Nathan Brand, before making his announcement on TV. His supporters and staff were informed live, watching the interview or upon receiving messages about the announcement from others. Scott has not endorsed anyone yet. The news is not rosy for Ron DeSantis. In a recent CNN University of New Hampshire Survey Center poll, he is down to single digits at 9%, with Vivek Ramaswamy right behind him at 8%. Donald Trump still holds a commanding lead with 42% of the nearly 2,000 respondents. Chris Christie pulled a respectable 14%, and Nikki Haley, arguably DeSantis' real rival, pulled strongly away with 20%, an 8% improvement over her performance in a similar poll in September. Among undeclared respondents, those with no registered party affiliations, the numbers were even worse. Haley, Christie, and Trump evenly split that support at 25, 24, and 24% respectively, where DeSantis only counted 5%, far behind polarizing candidate Vivek Ramaswamy's 15%. DeSantis is just not resonating with a large strata of GOP voters. DeSantis is also under fire for his actions as governor. 
First, the Florida law limiting drag shows, blocked by a district court judge in June, was being considered by the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court refused to reverse or limit the lower court's injunction. The shutting down of a pro-Palestinian group on Florida college campuses, something Ron DeSantis has been very proud of facilitating, bragging about it in the debates, has now brought lawsuits against the University of Florida and the governor himself by the ACLU. His war with the Disney Corporation continues, and in a study commissioned by Disney and conducted by Oxford Economics, Disney really does have a significant impact on Florida's economy. It was found that Disney generates over $40 billion in direct and indirect economic activity. Florida's GDP in 2022 was roughly $1.4 trillion, making Disney's contribution 3%. To put that in perspective, one out of every $36 spent in Florida directly or indirectly is generated by Disney activity. In fiscal year 2022, Disney was responsible for over $12 billion in labor income and generated contract work for over 2,500 Florida businesses. The takeover of the formerly autonomous Reedy Creek Improvement District that had run the area since its establishment in 1967 has resulted in an exodus of employees. In an Associated Press article using exit surveys, it is revealed that, quote, the workplace culture has been destroyed. The new state-appointed leadership has accused the past Disney administrators of cronyism at the same time hiring and directing contracts to political allies, according to one exit interview. As an example of what that outgoing employee may be referring to, DeSantis ally Glenn Gilzean, who is now the district administrator, authorized a $242,500 no-bid contract to a company run by a man who had served on an ethics committee with Gilzean. Local media reports of this generated enough pushback that Gilzean's buddy requested the contract to be reopened for bids. Nikki Haley raised some eyebrows during a Fox News interview when she suggested that, along with social media companies revealing their algorithms, that, quote, they need to verify every single person on their outlet and I want it by name. She suggested, quote, you're going to get some civility when people know their name is next to what they say. Well, as someone who spends time on just the vanilla surface of social media, I can confirm that's wrong. People say the cringiest stuff with the same accounts they host pictures of their children on. There is no self-awareness or fear of consequences online, Nikki. She got a lot of pushback on this, though, and tried to backtrack. Wednesday, during a CNBC interview, when asked if she was saying people shouldn't be able to tweet anonymously, Haley stumbled. She replied, quote, Do I think life would be more civil if we were able to do that? Yes. You should stand by what you say. She continued, but no, you can't have anonymous, and then paused. I don't mind anonymous American people having free speech. What I don't like is anonymous Russians and Chinese and Iranians having free speech. Nikki, I'm sorry. That's not how anonymity works. You can't confirm the latter without enforcing the former, unless you are abandoning your earlier demand for visible names. You have to pick a position and stick with it. You know, stand by what you say. Your best bet would be to admit that you went too far, apologize, and regroup at a more measured position. Even Ron DeSantis saw the opening you created and took his shot, saying, quote, You know who were anonymous writers back in the day? Alexander Hamilton, John Jay, and James Madison when they wrote the Federalist Papers. He wrote that on Twitter next to his name. Nikki Haley's campaign has announced that they will commit $10 million for television, radio, and digital ads in Iowa and New Hampshire starting next month. 
She spent Tuesday in New York courting big money financial backers at meet and greet events. Attendees included BlackRock Chief Executive Larry Fink and former Goldman Sachs President Gary Cohen. Axios reported Tuesday Haley is also having conversations with J.P. Morgan Chase CEO Jamie Dimon. Sources say Dimon, quote, admires Haley's grasp of the economy and her recognition of the role that business and government can play in driving growth by working together, and that he, quote, believes she has the potential to bring the country together. GOP mega-donor Ken Griffin said in an interview with Bloomberg News Tuesday that he is, quote, actively contemplating backing Nikki Haley. Griffin is the founder and CEO of the hedge fund Citadel, considered the world's best-performing fund with their 2022 filing showing they made $16 billion last year. Billion. To put that in perspective, that's more money than the gross domestic product of entire countries like Nicaragua and Guyana. This guy runs that, and Nikki Haley is on his radar. Griffin has said as far back as a year ago, fresh off the disastrous midterm elections, that, quote, I'd like to think that the Republican Party is ready to move on from somebody who has been, for this party, a three-time loser. He has gone so far as recently trying to stir up a debate between Trump and Haley, positing in an interview with Bloomberg, quote, I think the real issue is, is Donald Trump, for all of his bluster, willing to get on stage with Nikki Haley or not? I mean, Joe Biden at least had the excuse of COVID. What's Trump's excuse? Another heavy-hitting GOP donor, Stanley Druckmiller, announced Monday he will be supporting Nikki Haley. Druckmiller is a billionaire, former manager of the Duquesne Capital Management, a $12 billion hedge fund he founded in 1981 and shut down in 2010. George Soros hired him in 1988 to run the Quantum Fund and was credited with Soros for breaking the Bank of England. This refers to an event known as Black Wednesday where the value of the British pound sterling dropped like a rock. The Brits were trying, unsuccessfully, to keep their exchange rate above the lower limit mandated by the European exchange rate mechanism they had recently joined, and speculators were busy lining up short positions to profit when those efforts failed. Soros and Druckmiller bet heavily on this and made a billion dollars. That's the guy that has committed to backing Nikki Haley's candidacy. Spencer Zwick, founding partner of the private equity firm Solomir Capital, has also announced he is backing Haley, saying, quote, Nikki Haley has the vision, the record, and the campaign apparatus to win both the primary and the general election. In a statement obtained by Axios, he continued, quote, I'm proud to support her efforts and help her build stronger relationships with donors and business leaders around the country. Zwick was a backer of Mitt Romney's 2012 presidential campaign. Her involvement with Zwick is not new. She was invited in October, along with fellow candidates Mike Pence, Chris Christie, and Doug Burgum, to the E2 Summit, which was hosted by Zwick, former Speaker of the House Paul Ryan, and Senator and former presidential candidate Mitt Romney. The two-day closed-door event held in Park City, Utah, was for Republican members and donors interested in, quote, sincerely looking for an alternative to Donald Trump. Trump has had his fun and held the role as the rich guy to this point, but as the primaries progress and the field of challengers winnow, the real money guys are walking onto the field, and many are not enthusiastic about another Trump run. Some are driven by winning. They don't like polls indicating Trump struggling against Biden in the general. Some have philosophical motivations, like Ryan and Romney. They don't like his behavior and what the years of his influence and supporters have done to the grand old party. Spencer Zwick told Axios, the attendees from the Romney-Ryan network, quote, just don't accept that Donald Trump is the nominee, that that's not in their DNA. It's starting to look like Nikki Haley is their candidate. 
The House passed a bipartisan continuing resolution, H.R. 6363, which would later be approved down the hall in the Senate 87 to 11, averting a government shutdown. The resolution splits deadlines, with some expiring on January 19th and others on February 2nd. It does not contain funding for Israel, Ukraine, or border protection. The president signed the bill, but wasn't happy about it. There was significant disagreement among the Republicans, with 93 voting nay, requiring Democratic support for the 127 Republicans who voted for the bill, which they did, 209 of them. Right-wing Republicans want funding bills to have spending cuts, and this did not. It was a clean bill, with the funding extended at current levels. The hard-right House Freedom Caucus took their frustration out by sinking a rule vote, House Resolution 869, by adding their 19 nay votes to all 206 Democratic ones. The resolution actually references two other resolutions. The first is H.R. 5961, No Funds for Iranian Terrorism Act, that freezes Iranian funds tied to the 2023 hostage deal. That is bundled with H.R. 5893, the Commerce, Justice, Science, and Related Agencies Appropriations Act, a 2024 budget bill. Looking at the text of 869, there is an attempt to limit what can be done during the lead-up to the vote on the appropriations bill and deflect opposition by entangling it with the Iran bill. The continuing shutdown drama drove the credit rating agency Moody's Investor Service to lower the outlook on U.S. government debt from stable to negative. Speaker Johnson reacted to that announcement by suggesting the creation of a debt commission to address the rising national debt, which now exceeds $33 trillion. That's it for today. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, please take the time to leave a comment here and on Podchaser. It helps us know how we're doing and what topics you'd like to hear in the future. Have a great day.